He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The text we just read is actually the uh, marching orders of the apostles. Jesus had died on the cross, he had risen from the dead, and now it was time to go tell the whole world who he was, what he had done. But notice what he said. He said, hold up, don't you go anywhere until something happens. Don't get started until this happens. What he told them was, I will send the Father, the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. You can't do it without this. Don't even get started. Don't even try to go. Don't leave the, the gates. Don't leave the blocks. Don't go running forward and try to preach yet. Wait until you get the power. Wait until the promise comes. Now, this had happened before, something like this. When Jesus had first entered on the scene and had been baptized of John, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he went forth preaching the coming of the kingdom, he told the apostles that they had to do the same thing. And he said, but don't go rushing out there and doing it until you receive some power. So in Luke chapter 9 at verse 1, he called the 12 disciples together and gave them power over all the authority of the devils and to cure diseases. And in Luke chapter 10 at verse 19 and 20, he says it this way. He said, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and over all the power of the enemy. The problem was that they were going out into the enemy's territory. They were going out on the battlefield and they needed power in order to combat the power of the enemy. Follow? Don't go out there on your own. Wait. Wait until you get the power you need to do what I'm asking you to do. Okay. He said, I'll give you power over all the power of the enemies, and nothing shall be in any, in, shall in any means hurt you, notwithstanding in this, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What he's saying basically is, you're, you're important. I'm going to give you power and you're going to do some wonderful things, but I want to keep you secure. So don't you go out there and do anything until you get the authority from me and the power you need to do the job I'm going to give you. Now, you can imagine these, these fellows were chomping at the bit to get out and go to work and do what Jesus told them to do. He had told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel of every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. 
And lo, I'm with you always, even in the other world. And so he told them to go, go do the job. But hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Wait until you get the ability, the power to do it. You, you follow what I'm saying? Okay. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 9 says, When they therefore were come together, this is the apostles, Jesus had been with them for 40 days after his resurrection, showing himself alive after many different ways. And here it says, They were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? They were getting ready to do something. They wanted to go do something. And he said, It's not for you to know the times and the seasons the Father has put in his own power, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. The apostles therefore then, when they had gathered together on the day of Pentecost, and there was a mighty rushing wind that filled the house where they were sitting, and there set upon each one of them tongues of fire, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So they received the power. Now they could go do the job. But get the power first. Don't go prematurely trying to do something you don't have the ability to do until I give you the equipment you need to finish the job. Isn't that right? Isn't that what he was telling them? Now, the power of the Holy Spirit was seen in them in the form of wonderful miracles and signs to demonstrate that their message was from heaven. Okay? So when they said, here's a word from God, then if they performed a miracle, it could be seen that it was. And the, the result of that was this. Acts 4.33, it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So it worked. It would not have worked if they had simply been running around teaching that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and had no power that God had given them to accomplish the task. Okay. He was declared, according to Romans chapter 1 verse 4, to be the Son of God with power. He was declared with power to become the Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The promise of power from God extends far beyond those first days of the full revelation of the New Testament. Okay, let's just recognize this, that these men went out preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit and with signs, wonders, miracles according to the promise made in Mark 16, verse 16 through 20. They were able to handle poisonous vipers. They were able to drink poison. They were able to heal the sick. They were able to do a number of things that put the imprimata, the stamp, on the word that they were preaching that it was from God. It was from God. Okay. Once the word was preached and subsequently committed to writing, which we now have in the form of the New Testament, breathing souls would be welcomed by the Holy Spirit into their hearts through the avenue of faith. Now then, the Holy Spirit can now come 
not through fiery tongues that light upon each of us, but through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and empowers us to do what God wants us to do. Now, why do we need power? God intended that His children of faith be equipped to meet the challenges of evil with power. When Peter preached that first gospel sermon, you know what he said? They said, men and brethren, what, what should we do? When they were convict, con, convinced that Jesus was the Christ and convicted of their own evil beings, Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promises unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off, the Holy Spirit. You know what? That's what happens. God says, don't get out there and try to do this on your own. Okay? Peter told these people, don't try this by yourself. Be baptized and receive the promise of the Spirit so you can accomplish what God wants you to do. Right? Isn't that right? Don't go out there and try to do it on your own hook. Be baptized and receive the promise of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that will empower you to do what God wants you to do. That's basically what he's talking about. And there's a reason why we need that special power from on high, daily, hourly, and sometimes every minute. We need that power to face the enemy. The enemy is evil. The enemy is the devil. Each one of you who has stepped out onto the battlefield with the saints of God, with those who are working and, and battling the evil influences of this world, every one of you who has stepped out of the old world and into the new world with Jesus are in a fight. You're in a struggle. And you're liable to be overpowered by evil. Every hour, every day, every minute, it's there. Evil is there. His new world that you're in is a world where he is your friend and the world is your enemy. You've taken up with God who is not consistently in agreement with the world that you just left. And as a result, you're taking a stand against the enemies of God. Okay? You're in His world now, not the world that you came from. When you do that, you essentially will be encountering the force of evil that has swept the vast majority of humanity away. You're facing the force of evil when you step out of the world, the old world, and into his. You've abandoned the enemy's camp and you've crossed over to the other side. You're, you're on the other side. When you did that, your decision to come to God by Jesus Christ was a call to arms. You've enlisted. You're a warrior. You're a soldier. You have enemies. And the enemies of God are your enemies. 
there has been a line drawn in the sands of time and you stepped over that line. And you said, I'm on the other side. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. We know that. The Bible teaches that. Friendship with God will put you at odds with those that are in the world. Don't be surprised. Because those that are in the world, whether they know it rationally or just suspect it, are at animosity with God. Your public confession that Jesus is the Christ was a battle cry. You hoisted your flag and you said to the world, I'm with you, Lord, and I'm not with you in the world anymore. Now, of course, there are many varieties of individuals that are in the enemy's camp. So we can't say everybody we face on the street is an aggressive enemy of ours. You see what I'm saying? We're an enemy of evil. Evil is our enemy. And evil has taken our friends and our companions sometimes into his, his camp. We, we can't be lured away. But the enemy's camp ranges from groupies that just kind of follow along, blithely ignorant of what's going on, don't even know what the fact that they are in the enemy's camp, you see, to cooks, those that are providing meals for the enemy, to those who are supporting and making sure that the enemy has provisions, to actual combatants. There are actual combatants in the enemy's camp who will do battle with you over issues of right and wrong. You'll let, you actually see people like that. But other than that, the, the camp of the enemy is, is filled with all sorts of personnel. So we're not at odds and animosity with everybody in that camp. But we are at odds with and in animosity with the forces of evil. Can you imagine that? Now, Jesus said the same thing. He said, he said, you're either for me or you're against me. So he put us in one camp or the other. Right? Matthew 12, verse 30 said, he that's not with me is against me. He that doesn't gather with me scatters abroad. Now, if we're going to survive the onslaught of the enemy's appeal and energy and stay out of his camp, we have to have as much information as possible before we engage in the struggle. Before you take on an enemy, you better know who he is. You better have all the information you need. We know this, that when God created this world, he created it for us, mankind. And on the sixth day, in chapter 1, verse 31 of Genesis, he not only said, after every day, actually every, every day of creation, every, every time he put things in place, day one, two, three, four, five, he said, it's good. What he was doing is good. And on the sixth day, he said, it's very good. What God did was very good. But it didn't take long before things turned very bad. It's reasonable to assume that the term good refers to the mundane creation, what he, what he created, and to the moral climate that God had created as well, the climate of good and evil. So God created the climate of good. But it was infected 
by evil when the serpent came into the garden and enticed Eve to go against God. And then Eve in turn enticed Adam to go against God. And from there on, it was a domino effect. Just kept growing. Now, things have not stayed very good. They didn't stay very good for long then. The enemy appeared and things went from good to bad to horrendous. There is no rosy picture that we can paint for man's depravity now. No rosy picture. Mankind's mortal enemy is the devil, Satan. And a person would have to be totally oblivious to laugh around them to deny that there's such a thing as evil in existence. I would almost say you have to be brain damaged not to see it. But that's crude. The idea is we, either, we have two choices. We can say, number one, God created man in his DNA to be evil. Or that there is a force called an evil force that has been injected by another force, another individual animus. I choose the fact that, there, that evil is here and man is not depraved. He's not born depraved. He does not have it in, stamped on his DNA, but he has a choice when he reaches a point in his life, when he comes out of his salad days and he comes into maturity, then he can, he or she can, make a choice because evil is present and it's there and we can choose right or wrong. Okay, I'm going to assume that you agree with me that evil is not a personal trait of humanity, but it is a force that humanity can accept or reject, can be compromised by, or can stand against. Peter said it this way, he said, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, that's our adversary, that's our enemy, we need to know him, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Now, the sooner we realize, once, we're, once we step into God's arena of life, once we know where we stand with God, the sooner we realize we're in a battle for our very souls, the better. I'm not going to say we're in a battle for our lives. It's more than that. We're in a battle for our souls. Our souls. Our eternal being. The sooner we prepare ourselves for the struggle, more likely it will be that we'll survive. Okay, I've been baptized. I've been empowered by the promise of God of the Holy Spirit. So he said, get going. Now you can go do it. wonder why so many people can't seem to get over their evil. Because they, didn't, they weren't empowered to get over their evil. They were not baptized into Jesus Christ. And they didn't receive the promise. Therefore, they're struggling. That and a number of other reasons. But in the conflict that we're facing, the first thing we need to do is know the enemy. Know about him. We don't have to be familiar with him. But we need to know about him. Then we need to align ourselves with our allies. If you're going to go to battle, you better know who's with you and who's against you. So my ally and your ally is God and Jesus Christ the apostles, and everyone who names the name of Jesus and submits himself to him. So we know who our allies are, and we know who our enemies are. Well, our enemies aren't necessarily people that 
are in the in the enemy in the camp of the enemy, but our enemies are those who are forcing evil upon the world. That's that's the enemy we have. Then we need to arm ourselves with the best weapons we have available. Find find our weapons. And the bigger the better. Plan our strategy. And then seek the high ground. Did you ever hear that statement? Seek the high ground. You know what I'm talking about? When you're in a fight, you better be above everything else. You better let the enemy come up to you rather than you go up to them. Get the high ground. The high moral ground. The high ethical ground. Don't wallow around in the mud of sin with people thinking you're going to be able to win a battle when you're in the cesspool. It doesn't work that way. Ephesians 6 at verse 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against evil principles that have consumed the world. That's why Jesus could say, and he wasn't, he had no personal animus against any individual. He had, he had an animus against evil and against the devil who was the enemy of all righteousness. So that's why he could say when he went to the cross and people had put him there, he said to his father, Father, forgive them. He had no animus against people, and you shouldn't either. But we should know that when people come at us with evil, that we have to oppose the evil wherever we find it. Not necessarily oppose the individual as such, but oppose the evil the individual is promoting. Okay? Okay. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 at verse 5, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. So now, get your weapons. And he said, our weapons are not carnal, they're not fleshly. So you're not going to be able to answer tit with tat. You're not going to be able to answer blow for blow, eye for eye, limb for limb. What you're going to have to be able to do is use the powerful weapons that God has given you to overcome evil. And for some, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like it's too soft to work, but it's love that will overcome the world. But we're not talking about weapons in, in particular right now. We're talking about that raging inward battle you're having personally to overcome evil. You're not going to be able to get it out of your neighbor. You're not going to be able to drive it out of your, your society. You're not going to be able to outvote it out of the government. What you're going to be able to do, however, is whip evil in your soul, in your life. The raging battle that is in you trying to take you captive and take you down instead of you being lifted up of God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God, casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. He's not talking about defeating somebody else evil in somebody else he's talking about getting a hold of it in your life keeping it at bay 
Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy 6, 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight of faith. What is he saying? Believe in me, Jesus said. That's the good fight of faith. You can't build faith in someone else. But faith is built in you through your faith in Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto you also are called and has professed a good profession among many witnesses. Now, as children of God, we're fighting this fight. You're not struggling with other people. You're struggling against the forces of evil. Now, they may bring it on to you and you have to avoid it, but you're not fighting individuals. You're fighting the presence of evil. That's your, your struggle. And it's trying to get inside I grew up in a little town in, in the northern west corner of the Panhandle of Texas where the wind blew incessantly and the dust filtered into everything. I mean, you couldn't keep the dust out of the house. My mother used to soak towels and put it under the doorstep and under the thresholds and around the windows trying to keep the dust out of the house. And it was a losing battle, a losing battle. We couldn't keep it out. That's the kind of struggle I see that we're in. We're, we're in a struggle trying to keep the dirt out of our lives. And we're stuffing the cracks and the crevices, and we're doing everything we can to keep it away because it'll seep in and overtake us and overcome us and destroy us. Okay, so what I need to do in this battle is figure out how I'm going to fight the fight Stay out of the devil's world and let the devil keep the devil out of my world. That's my, that's my choice. Now the, uh, the fight that the devil has and the power the devil has is darkness, ignorance. He doesn't want you to know anything. He wants to keep you from understanding anything. And it's ignorance in, uh, in several texts in the New Testament where we know that darkness has reference to the fact that we do not know what the will of God is, what the word of God is. So darkness will, will overwhelm us if we don't understand what, what God has revealed to us. Anxiety and fear is the, is the weapon of the devil and is the force of the devil. Lies and deceit that we tolerate or encourage. These are the weapons of the devil. These are the, these are the forces of the devil. Despair and disappointment where we just sit down in discouragement and say, I can't do it anymore. This is the devil's weapon. And uncontrolled behavior where we just, we just lose control of ourselves and we just do what we think we want to do in anger or in lust or whatever it may be. We just let go of all of our restraints that we have on ourselves. These are the forces of evil trying to get into our lives and we're trying to keep them out. Now, to my point. God has provided the power to overcome that evil. We have the power. The power to defeat ignorance. Read with me in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory is his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word? 
What did he say? Read your Bible, read your word, and feel the power. So that's exactly what he said. That's the power he said. The power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Ignorance is dispelled by the word of God, by the truth. You should know the truth. Truth shall make you free. That's his power. Now, he also has given us the power to turn on light. We don't have to fight in the darkness. We do not have to fight in the darkness. Colossians 1 at verse 13 says, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness? We've been delivered from the power of darkness and has been have translated us into the kingdom of his, his dear son. We have the power to know the truth and to avoid lies. How can I keep from telling a lie? Because God has given me the power through his Holy Spirit to be able to overcome my lying nature. He has. He has given me the power. He said, Bill, don't start out this journey without the power you need to overcome lying, without the power you need to overcome your lust, without the power you need to overcome the darkness and turn on the light. Don't start out. That's why when you're baptized, you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit brings power to us. The power to overcome our fears and our anxieties. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. The power to rise up out of despair and discouragement. Romans 15 verse 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You get what I'm saying yet? The apostles were told, don't get out here and try to do this on your own. Wait for the power. And then the apostles told us, don't try this on your own. Get the power. And then you can do it. Okay? The power to resist temptations of the flesh. Romans 12 verse 21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. There's the power. And he's given us the power to perform what we need to do. Ephesians 3.16, He would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And then in Ephesians 16, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Wow. You know what? God has given me the power to overcome darkness. He's given me the power to resist evil. He's given me the power to keep from being depressed and discouraged. He's given me the power to overcome my lust and my, my bad nature. He's given me that power. 1 John 4 verse 4 says, You are of God, little children. He's talking to us and to me. And have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know what? The, the final battle cry that we should have is that we can and will win the battle. 
with the power that God has given us. God help you understand that you have the power. You're not in it alone. If God be for us, who can be against us? Not only can you win the battle, you will win the battle with the power of God. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.